everyone. Welcome to episode, I think it's seven or maybe eight. I, no, episode eight of season three. I've officially lost count because I've done so many of these, but it's another episode. So yes, it's episode eight. Uh, joining me today is Benjamin Fabo. Fabo. Okay. I was off by a couple of syllables. <laughs> Benjamin is a filmmaker. In, yeah. Okay. Fabo. Uh, Benjamin is a filmmaker living in New York City. Uh, he's also connected to the uh, previous episode I just did with Stephanie Chateau, who works, it, they're basically within the same company of Catalyst Wrestling, so it's, it's odd how these two episodes are literally joined by connection, which I did not plan out, but it just happened to be by circumstance. Sometimes, sometimes things just work out that way, you know, sometimes they do. Right, Benjamin, how did you get into filmmaking? Did you go? To, uh, were you okay? Always... Is it a long story or is it a fun story? It's an interesting story. So it's a lot of different things. I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to give this story before. So this is going to be a very, a very sloppy run of the story because even I might mess some things up. But here we go. So I didn't always want to be a filmmaker. I always wanted to be an. I always wanted to be an animator. I always wanted to be a cartoonist when I was a kid. And yeah. I love to draw, love to draw monsters and wrestling characters. I got into professional wrestling when I was like in my, in like when I was like 10 or 12. And uh, that those two, uh, those two loves kind of fed into each other. But the whole, I always loved movies. I always loved cinema. My dad and my mom, a lot of uncles and grandpas always like took me to the movies when I was a kid, uh, like showed me classics, showed me films I was probably way too young for. I was watching like Terminator and Robocop and, and like King ah, Kong my, and all these films. My kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Wait, when you say King Kong, do you mean like King Kong? The original, the original oh, King oh. Kong. The original okay, King because until the, the Peter Jackson movie, there was two King Kongs. There was the Jeff Bridges King Kong where he, and then there where it was, you know, Rick Baker playing King Kong essentially. And, you know, uh, and then you had the original King Kong. So I was like, you gotta mix, and also there's King Kong Lives, where it's like, <laughs> oh god, it's the King Kong Lives is one of the biggest pieces of shit you'll ever watch. <laughs> My brother will disagree on that, okay? Oh god, it's 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 not Jessica Lang's finest hour even she called it a piece of crap but now back to it my biggest influence in terms of my filmmaking obsession my love of it was a guy named james rolf who runs who runs a web a website called cinemassacre.com and he's also the angry video game nerd on youtube and that was what got me into him originally the angry video game nerd just this he would play this crazy nerd man-child character who would like destroy old video games in the 1980s and 90s like insult them and he, he'd make them short films like the effects he'd have horror characters in them and that's what really kicked off my feeling of wow you can just pick up a camera and do this and he did this whole documentary on his channel called Cinemassacre 200 he outlined how he got into filmmaking and it's such an inspirational piece of work for me and it's a documentary about his own life and that kind of tale that kind of segues into like my documentary work which is a different thing into of itself but filmmaking alongside art and animation became one of my main driving forces for a lot of my like middle school into high school and early college years and uh, the whole documentary thing came about very recently for me at least only last year Last year really because at the end of college in college 
I got into this guy on YouTube named Kenny Johnson. He makes these incredibly great, yeah. sometimes very short, sometimes a little bit long, wrestling documentaries about guys like Joey Janela and Adam Cole, Sammy Callahan and Eddie Kingston and Maria Manick and, he, and like Kimberly. He need to make these really great short documentaries. He did a lot of work for Evolve back when they were still operating. But no, this guy's work is sick. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really good. And like, I really, I loved doing that. And about the same time, I was doing like a, a wrestling podcast with my friends, Ray, uh, Ray Ramundo, Raymond Sanchez, and my friend Michael Sorrentino. It called the General Admission Wrestling Podcast. And I'd really gotten into interviewing wrestlers because wrestlers are some of the most fascinating human beings in the world. They are. And for, they are. And in, for one of my, I took, I had to take an elective in college and that ended up having to be an intro to editing course. And I was like, I like to edit. I'm doing it a lot more lately. But uh, so I wanted to learn how to do it better. So I took this class with a professor who I liked, even though I'm pretty sure she hated me because I was weird. I, I did horror shit. I did like wrestling related things. She didn't really fucking get it, but hey, whatever. Uh, she kicked me in the ass to be better and I owe that woman a dinner. So I'll also say that. Uh, but what happens is my first film I made was, and uh, you can't find this anywhere because it's, at my own admission, I think it's charming, but it is not my best work, but it was a first step for me. It was called uh, Zero Dimes and Sweaty Tights. And I interviewed three New York professional wrestlers and I got their stories, one of which was uh, Smiley the Psycho Luchador, which he's a very good friend of mine and got to tell his story. Just wrestlers saying, why do you do what you do despite the fact that there's very little money to be made here unless you're on a very professional level. Yeah. And I put it out in class and my class got a nice got a nice chortle out of it and they, they had fun with it. I got critiqued by my teacher for some of the more technical aspects of it, but I, I was still proud of it. And I moved on from that to the next year. I did another one, which I consider to be much better called Why Do You Bump? And it follows uh, Bobby Orlando, the Memfo Mofo, Jimmy Rave, Corinne Mink, Juba, and a whole lot of other really great New York indie talent. And I just, I interviewed a bunch of them, got some good B-roll because I was working for Catalyst, then known as Capital Wrestling. So I had a lot of opportunities to just speak with people right in the room. And that got a better response. And so for my final year, this is one of the main ones that really kind of took me forward. Um, I decided to do a documentary focusing on one wrestler who operate, who, who, who originated in Pittsburgh. He's now doing a lot of stuff here, on, here in New York and New Jersey. His name's M.V. Young. And I'd worked with him through a show. He had been with us at Capitol for some time. Then he had departed and we, uh, he was doing his own thing around the scene. I was like, wow, this guy's really picking up on popularity and he has a really interesting story to tell. So I said, hey, would you like to be the subject for my school project? And I, we filmed an interview and I, I followed him around for like two shows and I got a bunch of footage of him. And because uh, he was doing this big event with Drags and Dropkicks, which is the wrestling extension of the Uncanny Attractions yeah. um, company. And now, they did this big show at the House of, the house of Yes. Now, when you're doing uh, uh, footage at a wrestling event and you're getting him, uh, you know, backstage, getting ready, all that stuff, do you still have to be mindful of the wrestlers who don't want to be on camera? So they'll be like, like, that really is an excellent question. Yeah. No, that is an excellent question. So that's mm -hmm. no, that that yeah. is a big part of it. Yeah. I agree. The when it comes to that, I very much when people see a guy walking around with a camera in the back, like you, I usually make it known to the people in the vicinity that I'm filming, and I'm like, hey, if you want to 
kayfabe your gimmick or you don't want anything seen not going to name names specifically but like if you're if you're uncomfortable with that just i'll i'll aim the camera away for you or i'll edit around you is what i'm saying yeah. uh and that, that, that but no the people the house of yes were very cool the crew at uncanny attractions uh backstage at catalyst wrestling backstage are very okay with me letting me roam free with the camera because they know i'm not going to do anything do anything yeah. with it but so i finished i am mv young and that got a great response from my class teacher probably didn't make heads or tails of it again but i was very proud of it and that led to one of my more recent ones which i'm still very proud of um uh, it's called One Above All, Anthony Gangone. It's about uh, Anthony Gangone, another New York wrestler who I feel is one of the foremost talents here in, uh, here in New York City and New Jersey. And he is, uh, he's great in the ring, wonderful story. Oh, you human being he hosts another really great podcast called the chill and killing podcast where he talks about horror films and he had a really great he had a very dark but inspiring story about his the near i won't sum it up here because i'll encourage you to watch the movie because i can't really do justice to his story but a attempt at taking his own life and kind of what it taught him about maybe just what it told him about his own mental health, where he stood in the world and like what he needed to do to get better. And it ends on a very empowering note of like overcoming your, the pitfalls of your mental health yeah. and like really trying to make art and do something positive and give back to the world and achieving your dreams. And like, I dedicate this whole sequence to just uncut, no cuts of just him telling the story. And I've shown it to people who have legitimately gotten teary eyed watching it. And that was a real moment for me where I'm like, oh my God, I was able to capture footage of a legitimately emotional, resonant moment from a real human being and edit it, not even do too much to it, just do a little color correction, just frame it a certain way. And I was able to get an emotional response from people. And that's what really started letting me know, oh, I could actually do this. I could actually build a portfolio on this, like yeah. expand and other things. Because one of my main goals going forward is to do maybe a few more fictional shorts uh but the whole documentary thing is just first it, it's a very good format to work with you do an interview you get a lot of b-roll to tell a story you're essentially making a movie backwards in a way you, yeah. you get everything then you write a script then you edit it you're essentially doing it in a way backwards but it's, yeah. a, it's a great format to work with i will admit the uh <laughs> the formatting part really got away from me on the rise and fall of black craft wrestling but we'll touch on that in a little while in yeah a little while, uh, yes uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, documentaries, uh, my college, even though I was a film minor, my college, actually, uh, Brooklyn College, has, excuse me, has, I believe, four different, uh, uh, like, tractions to do in film production. You got film production, you got uh, cinematography, those who just want to do, like, cinematography, that sort of thing, uh, screenwriting, and you have documentaries. Because people who do documentaries have a lot more of a harder time because of, you know, getting stuff done. Uh, well, I would say people who do the documentaries and the people who do the cinematography have much more of a hard time because of uh, uh, equipment and, sort of, and that sort of thing. You know, uh, I remember having a class last year. It was my screenwriting class. And one of my uh, classmates, she said she, wanted, she was doing a documentary for her, you know, her documentary class but her subject was in San Francisco, so she has stationed some time 
to go to San Francisco to talk to her and then come back. And so she stayed, so she timed it during spring break since, you know, spring break is literally like maybe a week and a half of just like freedom from college and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, the documentary scene, it is interesting because I, it's odd because for like up to like maybe a few years ago, there wasn't that many wrestling documentaries that were coming out. There were like some little stuff, but not a whole lot. There was like, like the big wrestling documentary that was out for the past 20 years was Beyond the Mat, but that was like a big, uh, that was just like an inside look of, you know, WWE and, you know, all pro wrestling. But then over the course of say, you know, 10 years or so in 2010, going into like maybe 2015, uh, I know Sick Nick Mondo has his own ma uh, has at least two documentaries. One of them, one of them was actually about his life in uh, CCW. That's one thing too, and I had to still watch that one. I think it's called The Trade, and yeah, it, it, it's odd because up to like maybe 2007, I mean 2007, 2016, 17, like more and more wrestling documentaries actually were coming like coming out of the woodwork. So I, I found that actually quite interesting, like looking into it because as I said, the only big wrestling documentaries were like, you know, beyond the mat. And that was only, you know, you got You mentioned, you, met, you did mention beyond the mat and that did yeah. play a big role in what I've been doing lately. And you mentioned yeah. like the Andre the Giant documentary that HBO yeah. put out, Dark, Dark Side of the Ring, I think has brought yeah. it back into the mainstream big time. Like, yeah, I think that's that one of us. Yeah, that's one like one of the uh, uh, the main like resurgence to like wrestling documentaries because of, you know Dark Side of the Ring because even though it is an episodic uh, TV show, it's still doing like a mini documentary each episode about certain things about you know dark aspects of wrestling. You know, like the Bruce Brody murder, Owen Hart thing. You know, and then they still they keep going for it, and they said they even got you know wrestling. People think, oh, wrestling is just all people just punching, all that stuff. There is a dark side of wrestling, and like, you know, it, it's it, it's heartbreaking and sad, but it's also amazing to know, like, what type of stuff is happening behind the scenes, you know, who's conflicting what heads, that sort of thing, too. So, uh, so it's like the old saying, there's like too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many. Yeah. But it's yeah. Balls the broth. Yeah. But yeah, uh, in terms of your documentaries, was it always pertaining to wrestling or did you want to do other documentaries around New York City? Because, you know, it's like, you know, New York City, it's a pretty much like a city of adventure almost some, sometimes, especially, well, New York City and New Jersey are like cities of adventure. States of adventure. So. <laughs> I am expanding out of wrestling. Wrestling plays a role in another project that I'm timetabling for sometime in October and November to be determined, but... I have all the, I have like 99% of the footage filmed for it. And it is going to be titled The Jersey Devils Reject Zach Amico. It is a documentary uh, dedicated to a local comedian, deathmatch wrestler, manager, uh, podcaster, film, trauma film actor uh, um, named Zach Amico, who's, a, who's an insane, insane human being that I can't believe I share reality with. And I, I saw this dude and I'm like, this dude needs a documentary. And I, I just, I filmed this great sit down interview with him recently. And he is a, he is, he is New Jersey royalty in that his 
uh, grandfather was the mayor of Secaucus, New Jersey, where he grew up. Wow. Paul, Paul Amico. Wow. That's, so, ama- that's, that's amazing. Yeah, so he's technically, he has this whole, he, he is a collaborator with us over at Catalyst Wrestling, and he yeah. is... Uh, much like Stephanie Satili plays uh, plays Portia Vaughn, uh, her evil hashtag feminist character. She yeah. plays the Jersey, the Jersey Devil's Deacon and the leader of the Hudson County Horror Show uh, with uh, the with the Meadowlands Monster Lou Bruno, uh, Twitch uh, Lucas. Uh, he, he's an amazing he's an amazing up and coming wrestler. Uh, Joshua Cutshall, um, Michael Zamido, like all these. There's a carnival freak show of weird people. And uh, no, that that'll be a part of the flick for sure. And no, the, so the Jersey Devils Deacon Zach Amico will be coming out soon, which will be, which will be including a special, uh, several talking segments and an introduction from none other than Troma co-founder Lloyd Kaufman. So I will be. He's in the movie. Uh, uh, Uncle Lloyd. Uncle Lloyd, baby, yes, and he is exactly how you'd imagine him to be in real life. He is a wonderful. Can I tell the Lloyd Kaufman story for like two minutes? Can I tell yeah, the Lloyd Kaufman story? Yeah, go Thank ahead. You. Like, I'll, it, I, I, want, I want to hear the rest of your questions in a minute because they're they are actually enthralling, but I want to, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, so. Um, I was actually going to bring up if, he, if you actually happen to work with Troma because I know Troma is a big part of both New Jersey Troma, and New York. You know, I'll handle this. I'll handle that question too. I'll two part these together. So <laughs> Troma has been a part of my life since I was like a kid. Wait again, more movies I should probably not have been watching, but Archie. I saw Toxic Avenger Part Two when I was uh, when I when I was a kid, even though I was not allowed to, but uh, had a ball with it. Met, I had go, I started going to horror conventions very early in my life and had a blast at them when I was a kid. And I met Lloyd Coffin when I was like when I was like uh, thirteen or fourteen, and he, he he told jokes and he he seemed like an old man on LSD, and he was fantastic, and I loved him. <laughs> And I've, I've, I love Trauma, Poultry Rice, Night of the Chicken Dead, Terra Firmer, Tromeo and Juliet, The Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, Surf Nazis Must Die, like Mother's Day, Monster in the Closet, like all these just insanely campy, amazing films, blood-sucking freaks, just disturbing, gross, horribly offensive, non-politically correct films that are just chef kiss perfect. And so I knew that Zach had done a lot of work with Trauma, and I was like, as a joke, because this, to quote another one of my idols is Kevin Smith. And one of his yeah. defining quotes is, this part of my career is predicated upon pushing whimsy. Just kind of how far can I push this? And I, I always hung on to that because I was like, huh, just push it till you can't anymore. And so I thought to myself, you know, Zach has an in with trauma. I'm sure I could maybe get a word in. So I, I got Lloyd's email. I got yeah. Lloyd's assistant's email. No, I got Lloyd's email. And I wrote a very nice email where I just wrote, uh, Dear Mr. Kaufman, longtime trauma fan. I'm producing this documentary. I know Zach plays a big role behind the scenes and on camera for, uh, for both the Return to Newcomb High movies and Shakespeare Shitstorm. Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. And I was wondering <laughs> if you would like to be a talking head uh, for the documentary, if you'd like to do an intro. And I sent him an email, and I did not expect to ever hear back from him. And then 20 minutes, 20 Minutes later, I get an email where he's like, I love Zach. I'd love to. Here's my assistant's email. And I was like, oh my God. So I get his assistant's email. We set a date. First date doesn't work out. I'm broke. Uh, my heart's broken. I call them back. I'm like, hey, can we go for another day? Uh, they say, totally. I get back in studio. I literally, and this was 
I could not have timed this any better because this was in like mid-February. So if I had been just like a month or so off, this would not have happened because of all the stuff that's been going on. Yes. But this uh, was a miracle if there ever was one. So I went to Troma Studios in Long Island City. I got to meet the man himself. I got to see their offices. They were, it's an amazing environment. Like very, very kind of, it's both high energy and low energy at the same time because he. Yep. And like Lloyd's got a flight for this time. Lloyd's got a Lloyd's got to do this. We Lloyd's coming in, and Lloyd comes in, and he's wearing like a Yale sweatshirt, and he's got like some Skechers on, I think, like some old man shoes. It's wonderful, like, and he, he's <laughs> like some New Balances, I think. That's and, an amazing visual. Yeah, it is. It is an amazing visual, and he's a great. He's a great uh, he's a great talker. We had wonderful conversations off camera about the state of modern horror, all of the things we liked, we didn't like. And then I get him on camera. And my only regret is we had to keep it questions solely about Zach. But if I had more time, I would have asked him way more questions. But like for what I got from him in the time that I had, I think it's going to make an amazing addition to the film. And the introduction he cut is hilarious. I've edited that. And I think I'm going to put that out as a little preview in a few days. Uh, that is going to become that, that not, but to share a room with a man who you'd watched on like DVD special features and like yeah. met before, but like I've met him at conventions, but like that was, those are open spaces where the whole point is to go and meet them. But like, I got to make an appointment and meet one of my filmmaking heroes and kind of feel like, oh my God, I'm actually, when you get to stand and take a picture in the office of the man who created the Toxic Avenger, at like 22 years old, it does give you this feeling of, huh, maybe I'm doing a little bit better than I thought I've been doing. Maybe I'm actually making this happen. And that was a big, that, that was a big moment for me, like as an artist to get that moment with Lloyd and that, that that's something I'm gonna treasure forever. So that's a, that's a good moment for me. Yeah, uh, that's almost like, a, the, the, uh, I used, well, I don't used to, but I still bring up the, the, the idea of a career-defining moment in your career. And so meeting someone like him at the stage where you are now, where it's essentially still, I don't want to say like a, like you're, it's like post-college and you're post-college and for the most part, you're just essentially uh, figuring out where to go next, especially as a filmmaker. So meeting a filmmaker that you admired especially as uh, especially when you were a kid to where you are now that's a lot of a great uh oh, what's the term that's a that's a great step into your mindset uh yeah mindset of, a, of being a filmmaker now because you know i you know one of my favorite filmmakers growing up was robert rodriguez and you know bang I bang and I, because I love watching his stuff, I love the fact that his stuff is like, like he can literally do everything by himself. I must have watched like Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico, like countless times. You know, it, it was weird watching Spy Kids and then going back to Desperado. I'm like, this is the same guy. And then watching Spy Kids and then seeing Strawboy and Longo, I was like, oh yeah, this is the same guy. And then watching Sin City, I'm like, it's like, like. Robert Rodriguez has a very interesting, vast career in terms of, you know, not only does he do, like, 
like quote unquote exploitation style films, but at the same time, he's having fun with those type of films. It's, they're, they're very interesting to watch. And with someone like Lloyd Kaufman, his work spans like it spans, spans at least 40 or so years now, give or take since the late seventies. So I, I want to say- influenced so much. Yeah, Trump, so much. And not only that, it has given uh, filmmakers uh, a chance to actually like springboard their work. You know, James Gunn got his start at a Toronto film, which was Tromeo and Juliet. Trey, so Trey Parker and Matt Stone, they did Cannibal the Musical well, the Trauma Distributed, which is just yeah. incredible. If you've never seen Cannibal the Musical, give it a watch. That is five-star cinema, my friend. Especially, especially if you listen to commentary and know that they're practically drunk uh, watching the movie. So, uh, oh God, the, the commentary track for for Cannibal the Musical is one of the greatest things you will ever listen to because they actually just—that's that, what they do. They get drunk and they watch the movie. It's fantastic. Oh, I was about to say, uh, it's like I was wondering, like, when the lights will come on in your thing? Because you were like, "Doc, it's ending," and I'm just like, "I wonder how much longer the lights will come." mysteriously on it was like I'm when i started it was lighter when i started it was lighter out so by all means go ahead yeah that's the wonder of uh uh fall summertime transitions yeah which is like oh like two months ago 7 30 it would have been sunny as anything out now but now it's just like going more darker now so exactly uh, yeah uh how did you actually, now, you mentioned wrestling before. Uh, were you a big fan into growing up in wrestling? It was like, did you watch like WWF, WCW, ECW, NWA, TNA, stuff like that? Okay. okay, wow. Well, I was born in 1997, so I missed a lot of the Attitude Era, <laughs> I, so I couldn't have seen that. I, I got into wrestling in the year 2007. My first pay-per-view was SummerSlam 2007. And I was brought up on primarily the Ruthless Aggression era. I, my primary favorites when I was a kid were The Undertaker, were Jeff Hardy, were uh, definitely Matt Hardy, loved him too, Batista, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Edge, Randy Orton, all those guys uh, who are now being touted as nostalgia acts, which, make, which makes me feel old already, even at the age of 22, which I hate that saying. I'm not old. I'm only 22, but I, I feel the oldest I've ever been because an entire cycle is gone where now these guys are being touted as the nostalgia acts. So I'm like, wow. Believe me, uh, I'm 34. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I, I feel like that the, the millennial guy already just like, just like I would hear I always have this great joke about uh, a few years ago, I was walking and I told this joke before on the podcast, but I'll, I'll tell it again because, you know, as a millennial, they like to hear themselves talk. So uh, a couple of years ago, well, yeah, a few years ago, I was walking, I was in my uh, college and I was walking down the halls, about to leave the college and at the, in the corner of my ear and back of my ear, but, but you know, behind me, I, I'm, as I'm leaving, I hear these two kids go, Hey, do you remember Adam Levine? And I hear that, and suddenly the the I just become like like am I gotten to the point where I'm just like I'm old? People mm-hmm. like these kids like these kids don't know who Admiral Levine is. I'm just like I'm old now. <laughs> so yeah, it's odd how people who are 
supposedly, well, people who are like younger, all that stuff, and like everyone's like encompassed into a demographic, and people who were brought up in, say, the whole nostalgia uh, act of the attitude error, the attitude error. It obviously feels different, you know, to, compared to people who grew up with the the, rush, the ruthless aggression era, where it was basically the the, the same thing. Aggression. <laughs> yeah, and it's basically the same thing as the attitude era, but at the same time, it was only played much more tamer. And then, and then you literally get to the PG era, where it's just like. We just need to be. We just be. We need to be made minds, uh, mindful about who we're uh, like. We're more towards the kids now, and the people and the people who were growing up with the ruthless aggression error were like, "Where's the blood? Where's the chair shots? All that stuff." And now it's like, "Oh, we can't have all that stuff now." And then, so yeah, it, it's an odd placement to 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 see fans who grew up in one era and fans who grew up in another era being. You know, Herald as like a nostalgia act. I'm pretty sure those who grew up in the 80s, like my brother who watched like the, the old school WWF, Hogan, Macho Man, Mega Powers, Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake, uh, Tito Santana, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, The Four Horsemen, WCW. WWF where they didn't have like these feuds in the 90s so yeah it's it's an odd placement to hear essentially that this was an odd tangent but mm -hmm. this is an, uh, but <laughs> I'm sorry for going on a tangent about that it's just it, 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 oh totally it, fine man it's your show yeah it's my show but I'm trying to keep my tangents like on more of a uh, like more suitable but yeah how did you become uh, uh, back to wrestling though uh, so you grew up in in the rebellion era, uh, the ruthless aggression era. Was there any type of like stuff? Because I know during that era it was a lot more similar to the attitude era. But was there anything that was like sticking out to you in terms of like I want to say like a, a, an influence to you? Whereas it's like this type of like because you mentioned like the Undertaker, and by that point the Undertaker had transition from the American Badass to, I believe, uh, MMA Taker, which was essentially American Badass, but he was starting to become a lot more like mixed martial arts, where he was just like, you know, imploring like a triangle chokehold, that sort of thing. So in terms of like that sort of error, was there something of yours where you saw as an influence, especially going older, especially? Yes. Honestly, I can because like a thing I love about that they, they brought this style of storytelling back, especially with the change in creative behind the scenes at WWE. Because I assume Bruce Pritchard, who was very active in the Ruthless Aggressionary, who's very active now, uh, his style of storytelling, and I genuinely enjoy it in wrestling when there's continuity, there's character development, there's interactions between. Like Monday Night Raw, there'll be like an A story, a B story, a C story, a D story, and they'll be like, but I love it when like a character from the A story will like bump into a character from story C, a character from story C will pop into someone from story D, someone from story D can bump into someone from story seven, like story E. There's, there's endless possibilities in the world of wrestling. 
Like, I love the kind of... Uh, hang on for a second. Gimmicks. Like, I adored the Undertaker. Uh, hang on for a second. Yeah, uh, I'm pausing it for a second. Okay. I'm sorry, oh. folks. Uh, sorry, folks. Uh, technical, technical difficulties working with Zoom. As much as I don't want to be on Zoom as much as I want to, I want to be actually on locations. COVID is kind of forcing me to stay home. So, continue. All good, sir. No, I love that style of professional wrestling of high concept storytelling and uh, build up res resolution, like twists and turns. Like, so that has definitely influenced my style in terms of the kind of stuff that I, in terms of the stuff that I like. And you can see, I love the vignettes and the promos and like the, the edited hype videos from the 2000s. And you can see a little bit of that in the Rise and Fall Black Crap Wrestling. There's a montage at the end of the movie with a song cover of In the Vines, of the Lead Belly song that my friend, uh, that my friend Fred uh, wrote, that my friend Fred covered for me. And it's on, it's on SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud and incredibly well done. And I cut it very much like how WWE would do like a montage back in the 2000s. So I take direct influence from that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so now that you mentioned it and how, uh, so Blackcraft Wrestling, how did you come about in making a documentary about that? Because those who don't know, Blackcraft Wrestling was, I believe, I might be wrong, but was a West Coast promotion that was sort of, in the style of, I want to say like Gucci Underground, where it has a very cinematic uh, feel, where they bring in characters, they bring in storylines, they have like actors playing these characters. Yes. They actually have, and one of the actors is Doug Bradley, who was, who horror fans know as being Pinhead. Uh, so, how did you come about into creating this documentary? Uh, the rise and fall of Blackcraft Wrestling. When to tell the story? Okay, so <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> uh, April, twenty uh, April, twenty twenty. I am sitting at home. I am bored because uh, COVID has hit quarantine, and I am losing it because this was the early days of this, where you couldn't do anything. Everything mm -hmm. was closed. Not a thing open. So I'm at home. I want to work on the Zach Amico documentary, but I only have his stand-up set and some B-roll. So I really can't do anything yet aside from maybe some effects tests and a trailer. And I've done that. So I got nothing right now. So I go on Twitter and I noticed that I had been a fan of the product and I had seen that the uh, WrestleMania show was a disaster, to put it mildly. And I saw that it completely... KO'd the company. And I was sad because I, oh, I like those guys. Shame to see it end. And I followed some of the wrestlers from the promotion and I, I it, it became a running joke in the wrestling community the past year or so, even a year after the event. The, wow, this thing was a disaster. Oh my God. And like it always came up in jokes and because it primarily one of the influences was because it was on, it, it, it filled an entire segment on Botchamania because of just how insanely ill-timed this show was. And I noticed that this had a lot of traction, like a lot of people were talking about it. And I noticed that a lot of people 
were always kind of making jokes about like, man, what's the story behind this thing? How did this happen? What was the creative behind this? And I made a joke. Uh, someone was tweeting, just tweeting about, hey, I miss Blackcraft Wrestling, whatever happened. And I tweeted this joke to them on a lark, on a laugh, where I said, yeah, I've been meaning to make the rise and fall Blackcraft Wrestling. It was a joke because I'd actually tooled the idea around, like, how would I even do that? How would I even do that? Because I live, like, nowhere of these people who made this thing. But then, out of nowhere, because I think he was already, commenting on the speed matthew justice uh the final blackcraft wrestling heavyweight champion and a great uh indie tough guy deathmatch like legit bad boy wrestler he gives me the little little eye glance emoji with the that he's interested and me kind of again going back kevin smith pushing whimsy i i hit him up and i was like can i hit you up he follows me I send him a message and I'm like, hey, do you, you, could you help me do this? And he's like, if you're serious about doing it, I could give you some people to call and contacts for them. Oh, and wow. I was like, you know what? I am doing nothing right now. I am bored. There is, I I'm need to on work. Two weeks, I'm on two, I'm on two weeks leave from my job anyway, because like, I, I want to be safe because this thing was at its peak. Yeah. So I'm like, I need something. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. At the very least, I'll have some interviews. So I got these interviews. I interviewed, he gets me a Brandon Lombardo, who was one of the key creative figures behind the company. No, 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 here's what happened. He, he got me, he got me Zicky Dice's, he got me Zicky Dice. He got me G Raver were tremendous uh, performers. You have a, uh, Ziggy Dice, who is the current NWA TV champion over on NWA Power when that comes back. And uh, G Raver, who is a, a child's nightmare, a deathmatch wrestler, a cool human being, has some of the coolest merch out there, sick, sick looking human being. And he also just won a, he also just won a legal battle against Jim Cornette over a t-shirt. So uh, good, for, good for G Raver. And uh, Ziggy, Ziggy Dice, put me in contact with Brandon Lombardo, which, which was, who gave me essentially, not only gave me an interview with him, but gave me the keys to the kingdom. He sent me whole copies of first shows, pictures, assets, like old graphics, match cards, behind the scenes B-roll. And I, wow. I had the keys to the kingdom open to me and I was like, oh my God, I have to do this now. So, yeah. And then I get in touch with interview Soraya Knight, who many might know as Paige's mom. That was really interesting. I, and then like along, so I got all the interviews in. I did a lot of, I did a lot, that, that, which was a time and a half, but I got them all. It was a lot of nights and a lot of, a lot of whiskey, a lot of trying to get Zoom to work in my basement, but I had to, I got them all in. Um, I started writing a format and I edited a trailer together because I was like, I should probably have this something out for this. So I edited a quick trailer, put that out on YouTube, uh, put that out on my, uh, my Twitter. It got a lot of hits. And one of the people who ended up retweeting it, who, cause I tagged them as a joke because everything starts that way with me. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. The whole pushing whimsy thing. And I, I tag Matthew from Botchamania. And oh, sure really? Enough, not only does he retweet it, 
he follows me on Twitter and I shoot him a message and I was like, Hey man, love your work. Thank you for the follow. I he said, looking, uh, thanks mate. Look, looking forward to the film. Uh, and that, that blew my mind. So again, another big high mark for me was getting that dude's seal of approval. But then I remember I was, I was, the film was basically underway. I had, I had a big chunk of it done and I was like, Hmm, I could probably I could probably release this by the end of July. But then I thought to myself, but then I thought to myself, huh, you have his contact. You could try and get him to be in it. And I was like, you know what? If I can get Lloyd Kaufman, I can get <laughs> Matthew from Botchamania. So I sent him a text, where I was, a DM where I was like, hey, listen, you're a busy man. You got a million things going on. You got to produce episodes every week. But if you have 30 to 45 minutes, because I was only really going to ask him about the No Apologies show that he covered on his episode. And I was like, if you'd like to, I'd like, I could send you questions, you could answer them and I could splice them into the movie as your own little segments. And then later that day, he gets back to me and he's like, I would love to send me the questions. I was like, I got them. So you will see Matthew from Botchamania in the No Apologies segment of the Rise and Fall of Blackcraft Wrestling. And I will put it like this. The film as a whole, I am so proud of, but the sequences within the No Apologies, let me put it to you like this. The film without the No Apologies segment would probably be only about 35 to 40 minutes. The No oh. Apologies segment, the No Apologies segment bumped this thing up to an hour because oh, there wait. was yeah and dude i'm gonna tell you there was so much more there is so much more that i could have put into this and i wanted to put into this huh. but this movie would have been four three hours long no apologies the story behind it the creative flummoxes the botched like deliveries the, the the cut time everything to spoil what like these people have to say about it would be a disservice i feel to this part but i can tease one thing for you by the time this comes out actually you know yeah. what i will just tell you because this is going to come out after it's come out so yeah the for those who know or don't know the two big what the hell moments from this show are as follows a man being legitimately crucified on stage to a neon crucifix and doug bradley the preacher getting his throat slit on stage by matthew justice which starts spurting blood now that is insane apparently yes. that was not always the original apparently that was not the original idea apparently the original idea was even more insane apparently the original concept was PCO was going to have an open challenge and who would open that challenge, answer that challenge, none other than New Jack. My God. My God. Yes. And then not only that, they were going to have a match where PCO would of course no sell everything New Jack did, which would piss him off. New Jack would then whip out a pistol and say, this ain't fake mother. And he would, he would shoot PCO in the chest. He would start spurting blood but then he would no-sell it because he's not human, give him the tombstone, and pin him. This was, and um, it's probably a good thing that didn't happen because you don't want to do a fake shooting at a wrestling show, but 
I am disappointed because it would have been the greatest thing ever. You I asked one, earlier. I have one thought. First off, that would have been amazing, Sans the, uh, the, the shooting. They could have worked around the shooting and just have it as a, uh, like a fireball because fireballs are just like, you know, no one really knows that. No one, when someone takes a fireball in wrestling, you can't unsell it. So someone like PCO mm -hmm. gets a fireball into the face, that just makes him more mad. It's like, now you're going to piss him off. Because Red Brother actually seen him actually work the, the Ring of Honor show, uh, Super Japan show, and he said he saw him, like, literally do, like, a Canadian destroyer, like, flipping around all the rings. So, yeah, it... it but to hear new, him and New Jack to fight a match and him no no selling, like not even being phased by New Jack's you know gimmick of New Jack being, New Jackness, that would have been amazing to see. But to top it off with a but, but to top it off with a fixed shooting, what the hell? <laughs> oh yeah, no, dude, that's the tip of the iceberg, man. There was so there was so much, and honestly, I was editing this. You understand, like by the time of this recording, it is Tuesday, September eighth. This it premieres tomorrow uh, on Wednesday night at seven o'clock, and I was editing it up until this morning. Really, I was putting the final touches on it, and I had uh, it's a fun little bit at the end there that I'm very happy with. Is the great the montage with my friend's original song, with my friend's cover song, and. An editor's yeah, work is never done. An editor's work is never done, sir. And yes, I know that firsthand. First answer. Mm -hmm. There is, it is honestly, unless I can top myself with the Zach Amico documentary and another project I have possibly slated for 2021, I, this was, this has been the best thing I've done. And that's not to put down a lot of the work I do with Catalyst Wrestling, which I am by and large, very proud of and very impressed with myself for doing. Because yeah. over there, they, they, I, I have had a great team to work with. They are a big proponent of you throw, just throwing you into the fire and seeing how you do. And that has been yeah. rest of this boot camp for me, man. That, that, that really took me up a notch. But that, that I'm looking forward to it. It's my best work yet. I think everybody's really good. It's getting big responses on social media. It's some of the biggest of my career so far. I've cracked like 600 followers. Because of nice. this, I'm getting numbers. I'm getting eyes on myself. So yeah, right now I got I'm sitting. But for me, it is, and I am so excited. I hope. Hey, by the time this airs, if you've seen it, if you liked it, great. If you didn't, you still gave me a view, so thank you. <laughs> um, and I, I look forward to it. So that that's. Rise and Fall of Blackcraft Wrestling was quite the journey that took me from took me through the project that kept me sane during COVID nineteen. I do have a, a quick uh, question about that. Did you at all happen to get Doug Bradley for your documentary, or was he unavailable because you know we didn't have the Bradley? Unfortunate, on mm -hmm, unfortunately. So for those who don't know, I mentioned before Doug Bradley, the actor, the thespian who portrays Pinhead in the home played a character in Blackcraft Wrestling known as The Preacher. And it was literally, it was Doug Bradley. In the universe, it was the actor Doug Bradley just playing this character, just getting into it. And it's, it's so weird, but he brings his A-game to it. And I was like, 
I want to make this happen. So I tried, I really tried, but I did not, I do not have the connections for this. I, I tried to look through his website, maybe find like a book me link or like find something so I can email him a contact somewhere. Couldn't find it, but you know what? I dedicated an entire, uh, entire short segment to outlining who he was in the doc. There is enough footage of him doing his work to, to he's there in spirit. I wish I could have gotten him for it because Doug Bradley is a tremendous talent, but I wanted to get PCO for it as well. I wanted to get PCO. I DM'd him. I hit him up on Facebook and Twitter. He did not get back to me. So P PCO, you're awesome. I wanted you in my movie, but c'est la vie did not happen. So. All right. Uh, you mentioned Talis Russin before. Uh, before uh, Talis yes, Russin was us. It was also called Capital uh, Capital Wrestling before the names changed. Capital Wrestling. Uh, Capital Wrestling. How, how did you get into? How did you get in touch with becoming a? All uh, oh, right. So you were talking about uh, before the show. You were talking about how you you're the editor, production guy, associate producer. It's like you wrangle a lot of hats. I do. It is Catalyst Wrestling has brought out, and I will, they will not be offended by me saying this, but it has brought out the best and worst for me, and I'm very thankful for both of it because it has taught me to be tougher. It has shown me a real look at what high, high end production is like on a weekly television show. People give Raw and SmackDown shit every week for being two or three hours. People got to sit down, format, write, and edit that show, man. Why? Yeah. We have to do 24 to 30 minutes of TV almost every week. And that is a challenge sometimes. Yeah. We are building this from the ground up. So how I get into it? I love the story. So I'm gonna, I love telling it. So <laughs> I, the story of me getting into Capital, then Catalyst Wrestling, is my story of getting into independent wrestling. I attended a House of Glory wrestling show in 2015 with one of my friends, Matthew Koffler, fellow filmmaker. He, we met... The, we saw this show, which was low budget in an Elks Lodge that smelled funny. The ropes were weird, but it was some of the most fun we'd ever had at a show. And from that point on, House of Glory, just independent wrestling all over the state, even if it was. I'm in, in college, was going to independent wrestling shows. And along the way, I met someone named Matt Ryan, who at the time was portraying a character named Matthew Ryan Shapiro at House of Glory. And along the way, I had bumped into him at the Barclay Center for some of uh, some WWE events. I had like I did an interview with him for once again the General Admission Wrestling Podcast way back in the day. And yeah. he, me and him struck up a mild friendship and I was getting into contact with him more and more. I did like some flyer work for him. He comped me a ticket or two for, uh, for, uh, for, uh, for a show he did before Capital Wrestling called Future Is Now, which only lasted the one show, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. And it made me, wow, this guy's really, this guy kind of has his head on straight and he knows what he's doing. He has a good sense of business. Matt Ryan is one of my absolute favorite human beings. And he then announces this project, uh, Capital Wrestling. He announces it to, and it's, it, what struck me was just how different it seemed. And just, he was going back, uh, him, and his, him and the person he was working with at the time, 
were um, they had built it very much to be a throwback to old school Memphis style NWA mid south Memphis wrestling with yeah. modern wrestlers. And the original show took place in this gorgeous church, Cathedral Hall. And it was freezing. It was the winter, but I still had a great time with it. There was a barbecue stand. It was so, and it was so different. And they were producing it for online TV. It was a TV show. And along the way, and I had such a great time with that first show. It is still a favorite of mine. A few weeks later, he posts on Facebook, I am looking for interns and assistants to help me out yeah. with this. And this is, I am sophomore year college. I have nothing going on. I have a job that gives me money, but I'm not really doing anything in my line of work. And so I'm at that age where I'm like, gotta find something. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. So I get in, I give him a, I DM him and I, I sign my, sign my name on the deal. And I'm like, metaphorically speaking on that point on, I was off to the races. So I went from finding bars and restaurants to do flyering and advertising in. But I also found, I, I started like uploading to YouTube and editing clips and doing social media live during shows. I was getting a real boot camp experience. And yeah, I learned a lot from the people who work there. And along the way, there were, there have been, there have been challenges and complications and developments, like none of which I really need to get into here, but it really has shown me the ups and downs of working in the entertainment industry. And I've met some amazing people through it. I've met amazing talent through it. And I eventually, when our editor, for the first 100, episode, 100 plus episodes of Capital Wrestling were edited by a man named Zane Decker, who I believe works for Ring of Honor currently. And he, an amazing talent, so good. And I admired his style. And eventually he got signed. And we had to rebuild our production team from the ground up. And uh, Matt turned to me and he said, hey, could you handle TV going forward? The assembly of it. We have uh, another talented gentleman named Dean Silverberg who edits the matches together. That dude is a Ronin. He does such a good job with it. And I began the final assembly and export of television. And for the past 60, almost 60 weeks now, almost a year plus, I have been the... I have been editing and reformatting television for Catalyst Wrestling. And I have been a big part of a lot of the visuals, uh, visual redevelopment, like uh, branding. A lot of artistic decisions have fallen on me. And I've gotten to edit whole vignettes and segments. I've gotten to direct segments, shoot tape, film ringside. So it, I keep saying boot camp over and over again, but it really has just been that. And I, I get to work with great people. Uh, my friend Raymond Sanchez. Uh, Stephen James, Heritrogenian, my uh, Stephanie Satili, who you spoke to last week, who was ridiculously goddamn hilarious, and Portia yeah. Vaughn is a genius character. I love, I love being Portia's assistant on screen. Yeah. If nobody knows, I am also intern Ben or the boy. I, I wear a pink hat. I, and I, I, it's terrible. No, it's terrible. It's amazing at the same time because I've actually gotten chants from the audience who are who like be a man, leader, and like other people were like, free Ben, free Ben, free Ben, free ben. it was incredible, and I got chance I, at a wrestling show, and you have never known, me and her got to do a segment at the Skankfest Comedy Festival yeah, she, last she was, year, and she actually talked and, about that, so yeah, she talked well, about it, not in whole, but to have 300 people Boo you out of the of the now unfortunately closed Brooklyn Bazaar. May it rest in peace. 
oh my God. We went out there. She was yelling at me. I had to set up to have to like be on, be mentally ready to be in front of like almost 300 people crammed into a room who are booing you. <laughs> and oh my God, it was all for her because she's a master at getting people to like hate her in this character, which she plays perfectly. But I'm there selling it like, what the hell is she even talking about? These people hate us. That is an all-time top 10 memory for me. Matt Ryan, Stephanie Satilli, Harry Trajanian, Stephen James, like uh, Lee Mandon, of course. He goes by Ash Samuels, indie wrestler turned producer. He's a great human being. And I've gotten to work with a lot of interesting people. And Catalyst Wrestling, I am comfortable saying, has made me a better artist, a better businessman, a better better producer and I owe so much in my career to it right now I don't think I would be doing what I am currently if it wasn't for capital and catalyst wrestling I don't think I would be now now you mentioned 60 weeks so that's like close to a, that's hang on oh that's over a year because I, I have to remember uh, if I ever need to remember how many weeks were in a year I just need to remember DC Comics 52 it's like I gotta just remember DC Comics is drawing line for an entire year and they called the 52. 52. So I was like, if I need to remember how many weeks are in a year, just to go be like, how many weeks are in a year? 52. Okay. And, uh, uh, but although it's weird being the theater kid and it's like being a theater kid, it's like, how could you not know how many weeks are in a year by rent? And I'm just like, well, I, I don't, I'm not a theater kid. So I am a, th I'm part of the theater, but I'm not a theater kid. So I don't, I'm, I'm not like musically inclined, okay? The only musicals I know of that I really enjoy are like Little Shop of Horrors and a couple of them. But I'm just like, I'm not really in depth with musicals. So I'm more like the film person. So but, so if you ask me about film, I'm just like, well, you, you, you just open up Pandora's box. So, yeah. But for working over a year with Capital Wrestling slash Catalyst Wrestling, Especially going forward because of COVID and, you know, being unable to essentially uh, produce weekly news shows since March or so, how were you able to essentially combat producing a weekly, uh, yeah, weekly television show, especially for wrestling? Were you in charge of essentially creating vignettes, you know, like with, I know, uh, because... NWA, when they had power, they were going to do power more, and then COVID happened. So, and then for like a that month is, or two, mm -hmm. that is and, then for, and then for a month or two, like for a couple of months, they started doing like Carnyland, which was basically, you know, a couple of months of the, like the wrestlers doing stuff, you know, skits, stuff like that. You know, they were trying to copy, I think, being the elite, that sort of thing, too. And even then, being the elite, they even had like a month or so, like a month or two storylines with the, you know, Matt and Nick Jackson were basically fighting in their backyard. And they basically had like a backyard, uh, fer you know, federation, a backyard wrestling thing for mm -hmm. at least for, an, for at least for a month and a half just to keep people, you know, entertained and having, you know, because of, you know, COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm. But because of COVID restrictions, how was your, uh, you know, back to my original, back to my question was like, how did the process of producing a weekly television show, especially for wrestling, change, change since March where everything literally was shut down? Oh, and I okay. So in order to properly do this, I am going to, I'm going to bring up the Catalyst Wrestling archive that I have here, just so I 
can kind of timetable where this transition was because when COVID hit, we were in the process of our rebranding. Uh, yeah, which was Cows. We had, which was, which was now Catalyst Wrestling. This is a mm, this is an odyssey to say the least. So we had our final Capital Wrestling taping in February, uh, early yeah. March. Uh, it was called uh, Stand Clear. Great show, and we filmed some amazing matches. And those lasted us at least. I want to get this right because I have it right here. We filmed an entire night's worth of matches. And those took us about from the end of February through March into like the first week of April. And after that, we officially rebranded as Catalyst Wrestling. The matches we had ran out around the end of April. And so from that point on, we had officially reformatted, rebranded we began putting out old matches kind of reformatted to the new to the new company branding and the television show became a storyline recap of everything that had been going on in the company thus far we did an episode recapping the journey of colby carino we did an episode recapping the feud between anthony gangone and harry Turjanian. we did a we did an episode recapping all the major moments of the capital rest of the catalyst wrestling championship yeah we had an entire episode dedicated to the Hudson County Horror Show and Zach Amico. We had a segment dedicated to Portia Vaughn. We had a segment dedicated to the rep and their feud with Hot Boys International. Uh, Casey Navarro, Lucky 13, Eric Martin, Wrecking Ball Gursky, Bobby Orlando. Bobby Orlando is ridiculously talented. He has a stuffed goat <laughs> and it's a genius. We did a whole episode called Bobby Orlando's uh, Birthday Bash, which was great. Loved it. Um, so proud of that. But we had gone from being, we still aired matches, but archived matches, obviously. Yeah. And uh, that was that was basically the routine for a couple months there in quarantine. And we had a good until they could lock down some way to do wrestling. And very recently, I can't go into all the specifics because I don't think that's my, the information on my end to give out. But yeah. we very recently secured a location. We had the proper measures put in place to ensure everyone's health. And we have filmed an entire new crop of matches. Not all yeah. on the same day. Some of them filmed off-site by other producers yeah. in our company. Uh, Dean Silverberg has been uh, back on the editing again. Eddie Arocho, Andrew Fumi, uh, some, uh, Danny Walsh, all these amazing people who have been, uh, our, our director, Jesse Holland, have been crushing it, like getting these great matches with the likes of Homicide, who's been a big part of the product. Colby Carino, of course, we filmed a whole, we filmed a lot of matches. I can't really give out the specifics of which yet because, like, some have not aired. The only yeah, one that has aired at the have, time. The, yeah, I can tell you what we're, we can know. I can tell you what we have aired and what has been confirmed. We are doing a gimmick at this time called Cdow or Cydow. Yeah. I've heard it both ways. Um, we have found we, Catalyst Wrestling is on a private island. That and has we been, are. Uh, that's supposedly owned by Antonio Inoki, so yeah. Uh, that was that was in one of the original bits we did to hype it. Yeah. Up, the hype videos we did, but uh, we have that. We just aired the first round of a twenty thousand dollar tournament sponsored by the folks at Future Legend, and we um, have a first round matchup right now between Freestyle Champion Ghost Shadow and Black Zemus. Quality lucha style matchup, and we also have a great panel with Emilio Sparks and uh, HC Loke and uh, Dave Lee from Dave Knows Wrestling, 
and we have a great we have a nice format going right now and next week on the show well by the time this comes out it would be long out but like on the next episode it's going to be anthony gangone who i mentioned before who's going to be taking on zach amico's client the meadowlands monster and some footage of that will definitely be appearing in the jersey devil uh, reject zach amico a nice little crossover between one of my previous subjects and my current subject so that's a lot that's of fun a, but that's actually uh, awesome uh, but yeah uh it, it's weird how essentially because it, it's weird because not many uh for a lot of people who really don't know uh, who just watch uh, wrestling as a mainstream like wwe and aew a lot of these other federations the small independent federations you know independent federations in general they are struggling because of COVID restrictions and, you know, not many places can do wrestling and they have to find a place and a time where essentially a lot of these places can be, um, uh, okayed, uh, yeah, okayed or, or at least, you know, stamp of approval. Uh, I know Joey Janela's spring break or Joey Janela's like federation or at least promotion, uh, something like that. GCW. Yeah, GCW recently did some shows on a boardwalk, you know, and they called it, uh, I think, Bring Your Suntan or, I mean, uh, Wear Your Sunscreen Lotion, something like that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it, uh, but when you're watching it from a mainstream point of view, it's because, you know, Florida, at the time, they say it was okay because Florida really hit, is home of spring training, stuff like that, too. So Florida has much more of a, of a sports background as opposed to just like, oh, it's, it's because, you know, a lot of this stuff, as I said before, wrestling has a very dark and seedy uh, underbelly. So yeah, uh, I feel like that's a different conversation altogether, but, and this is more about your production stuff, but yeah, uh, I can't wait to actually see, start seeing more of the, the stuff going forward, especially since, you know, for the past couple of months, I've been actually recapping Catalyst Wrestling for, you know, you guys to make sure it's like, hey, you know. You have some matches to look forward to, sir. That is a lot of wonderful content on, in, on the horizon. We are, we are back in motion. We are back at full speed. We are going forward with production. We have built up an amazing production staff who's bringing some, oh, we're all bringing some great things to the table, myself included. And yeah, like Matt Ryan and, uh, and Ash Samuels running the show. Uh, Harry Trujanian and Stephen James on commentary, uh, the great managers like uh, Stephanie Satili, Zach Amico, like guys, uh, guys and gals like that going forward. So we have a lot of really choice, very well-produced content coming your way very soon. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, Catalyst Wrestling on Facebook and Twitter. Check that out. YouTube as well. Uh, we're on Fight. We're on Gas Digital. We're going to be on, we're on the Fight Network working on a couple of deals at the moment. We're going to be, we're, we're putting a lot of very interesting deals together. So we look forward to that on the horizon. So Catalyst yeah. Wrestling, nowhere to go but up. And speaking of social media, uh, it's about that time where I start wrapping up my show because I feel like we've talked a lot about your work with production. Uh, I, I feel like we touched based on a lot of stuff and we've talked to almost about an hour and 10 minutes and some change. So that's like long for my show. So I try to keep my shows like at least under an hour, over an hour. But as when you go I, over, I, like when we go over an hour, that's a good show. But I like to talk. I like to talk. Yeah, Stephanie's, uh, Stephanie's episode is probably going to be like an hour and like maybe 25 minutes or so. So 
she beat me. She beat me yes. by like 12 minutes. So oh, <laughs> I'm not going to take 12 minutes. I'm not going to take 12 minutes just to spice out the show just as a F you to her. But no, I have, uh, I'll, so is this where I give my plugs or for what? Yeah. So uh, I do have three questions left. They're pretty okay. straightforward. Uh, to those who are watching or listening right now to my audience members, do you have any advice to those who are essentially struggling with production means, especially since they're trying to figure out how to essentially make something during a quarantine time where a lot of this okay. stuff has been locked down, especially, and there are only certain places open. Okay, that's, it's so weird you ask me that because I don't even know if I'm a guy to ask. I am a dude who's lucky enough to have a camera, good friends, a good support system, and enough chemical imbalance in his brain to make things that some people find entertaining. I, I know my self-worth. I know that I'm on a good path, but it's not always easy for me to see that. But if I had to give advice to anyone listening, keep going. There is always a way. There was a horror film recently called Host. It is a horror film done completely on Zoom. I did my documentary through Zoom. I got my interviews that way. The things are opening up a little bit. Social distance style filming, like find, write a story to capitalize on this. If yeah. you have a story to tell, it's like, I don't have enough money. Okay, you can't afford a camera. No, you have a camera. It's called a, it's called a phone. You can use that. You, everyone has one now. Like Joe yeah. Bob Briggs on the last drive-in gave this amazing speech about being a filmmaker. And I, I'm going to quote it a little bit verbatim because it really inspired me. You have a phone. I can't go to film school. Okay, you can go on YouTube and find thousands and thousands of hours of tutorials on how to color, on how to collect color, how to edit, how to use Premiere Pro, how to use Final Cut. Yeah. Uh, don't have screenwriting software. Who said a screenplay had to look perfect? Yeah. Get out Microsoft Word. Get out Apple Pages. Open a Google Doc. Who cares if it doesn't look... Write a script even if it's not greatly formatted because it has to make sense to you. I don't have a crew. Okay, I can't afford a crew. Get your friends. Pay them in booze and hamburgers. That's the same <laughs> man. You know what? As long as you're giving them something and you can give them a, just a little bit, they'll show that you care yeah. and you're thanking them for doing this. So you know what? People will work, man. They want to. Just find the people that'll ride and you on that. Beat it like you want this. And I, I've wanted this for a while. It's like I did for a long time. I didn't think anybody was ever going to notice what I was doing. And now I have something that's going to get a couple hundred eyes on it, hopefully tomorrow night at the time of this recording. Yeah. If a guy like me can do this, I don't care if you're a guy, a girl, you're, you're trans, you're black, you're whatever. Like if you have a story worth telling the means to tell it and a, and something you want to put out there, do it. Because at the end of the day, I wanted a documentary about Anthony Gangone because I would want to watch one. So I made it because no one else was probably gonna for a while. I wanted a documentary called the black, the rise and fall of black craft wrestling. No one else is going to make one. I had to make that on my own. And I did it, and it's coming out tomorrow. I want a documentary about Zach Amico because he's cool. No one else seems to be making one. I'm going to fucking make it because that's yeah. what I'm going to do. So at the end of the day, you just got to look at what you're doing and just say, it gets hard. There are moments you're going to want to quit. You don't know a certain thing. You got to watch tutorials. You got to get an effect to work. It's not working push through, go to bed, get up in the morning, hit it harder, try it again. No more excuses. 
because that's how art dies when people just give up. I'm not saying you can't take a break, walk away from it, take a walk, take a dump, go, go get a meal, go do something, get it, get your head straight and get back in there. Look at it from a different angle. You fix it until it's perfect. And you know what? The first thing you make is probably going to be garbage. It's probably going to be dog shit. You know what? The next thing you make is going to be a little less dog shit. The next thing after that, and the next thing after that, and you just get better every single time. And I like to think that that's what I've been doing for the past five years. I didn't get into this plan to be a filmmaker. It's just something that happened. And with that, I, I think that's a good, uh, uh, good topic to add uh, to drop off. But do you have any like social media or things you want to plug? Yes, sir. Uh, you can follow <laughs> me on, I keep my Facebook fairly personal just because it's where I communicate with friends on a more social level, but I do yeah. a lot of my business through there. So uh, Benjamin Falbo on Facebook, find me there. If you just make yourself clear that you're uh, approaching me in a professional client capacity, if friendships emerge from that, wonderful. If they don't, happy to work with you. Uh, Twitter is where I've been doing a lot of my promotional work. You can find me at, at Falbo underscore Benjamin. That is F-A-L-B-O underscore B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N. You can find me there. Doing a lot of my promotion for Black Rap Wrestling, the documentary there. I am on Instagram. That is just Falbo Benjamin. I typically just use that again for social reasons, but it has proved to be a tool for promotion in the past. So you'll see me active there as well. Uh, the big, uh, the big uh, golden uh, egg right now is my YouTube. That's where I'm putting a lot of my stuff. You can just find me, uh, Benjamin Falbo, on YouTube. You can find me there. Uh, that, once again, that's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-F-A-L-B-O. That is Benjamin Falbo on YouTube. You can find a lot of my recent work. There's some stuff from college left up there that I'm debating getting rid of, but you know what? I still have a fondness for it. So yeah. take a look. If you want to talk about my artistic progression, take a look at that, kids. It's a lot of fun. But even, yeah. even even my college work is like, should I delete my old college stuff from my own? That you know what? On oh, my personal channel, it's my personal thing. So it's like it's my hey. personal thing. I've no, I've done nothing problematic. So like, I have no reason or impetus to get rid of any of it. But like, no, that, yeah. that's my YouTube is where a lot of my content's going to be lying. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, additionally, there is one other thing I can plug. I do my own podcast on the side as well. It is called the It Came from Queens podcast. It's a what I like to describe as Joe Rogan meets uh, meets kind of like a midnight horror host where I talk to people about uh, like the, their goals, their dreams, their fears. We talk about like off the beaten path creatives. And that has been a hell of a lot of fun. I did an interview with Josh Stifter, the director of Greywood's Plot. Nick Spears, a YouTuber. Stephanie Satili has been a, a recurring guest. We, we talked about the Sonic movie. That was a lot of fun. So check that out. Uh, it came from Queens. It's on iTunes. But uh, to finally let this uh, wrap, thank you very yes. much for having me on. Of course. And everyone else, I hope you had a great time listening. And yeah, just stay safe and be well. Yeah.